Hello everyone and welcome to Not So Secular, the place where we talk about how the world we live in is not as secular as we often think. We just choose to see it that way. My name is Mon Reyes, I am a youth missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. On this episode of the podcast, we will be reading from Scripture. And so bring out that dusty old Bible from that bookshelf or that altar if you're Catholic, because we will be opening it right here. Let's begin. Here at Not So Secular, we often reference Scripture. You may have noticed that during the first episode in particular when we're, we were talking about how God moves through people. We've read through different parts of the Old Testament in particular, going through the different stories, seeing what the Bible has to say about what we were talking about during that time. And that's something that we want to continue to do. However, Every now and then, what I'd like to do is to do things the alternate way around, right? To, to take the other path, where instead of having a topic and then referencing scripture and seeing what the Bible has to say about that topic, maybe what we could do during these other episodes, including this one that we're having today, is we could read from scripture, read the passage itself, and then from there learn what we could what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us through that text, what we could pick up from it. And so that's what we want to do. That's something that I hope to do today and I hope to continue to do in some future episodes as well because I think there's value in that. For today, we will be talking about two stories, two stories from two chapters involving two individuals. And before we go on right ahead and read those stories and read that text, I would like to encourage you. This is not a requirement, but if you want to make the most out of this episode, if you want to get more out of this episode, I would like to encourage you to press pause for a bit and then listen to the episode that came before this, the previous episode, episode four. And if you haven't listened to that yet, go ahead and go back a bit you may return to this after you listen to that so that you could get a better context of the stuff that you will be talking about and the, some of the ideas that we might reference from that episode. And so that would be good. And so if that's you, pause for a while and then go back here. All right. So those who are left are either those who have already listened to the episode and the before pa, which is if that's you, then that's great. Welcome, welcome here. And or those who have pressed pause and have come back here, or well, maybe you just don't, didn't want to listen to that, and that's fine. Okay, so yeah, fine. Let's go through this. And so, and so, this is what we're gonna do. Okay, for this episode, what I want to do is I wanna I wanna read the passages first. I wanna read the text first, and I wanna invite you to listen in, and I want or I wanna invite you to to read it with me. If you have your Bible with you, you could use a Bible app. I'm using. The New American Bible Revised Edition, that's the translation, that's Nabre, N-A-B-R-E, if you're using a, the Bible app, so you could look for it there. And what I want to do is I want to read this to you first, and I, and I want to invite you to pay attention to the details. I want to invite you to, to listen to the story. These two stories may have been stories that you've heard in the past already, or maybe you have discussed already with another group or with some other person or people. And that's fine. That's fine. That's the beauty about the Word of God. It's that it's rich. There's so much into it that 
whenever we go back to the Word of God, even though some of these stories are stories that we've already heard or encountered before, there's just so much into it. And so what we want to do is we want to continue digging deeper into that. The two stories that we'll be reading today is that of the rich young man from Luke's account here in this translation. And in this account, he is called the rich official. And the second one is that of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And so I'll go right on ahead. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19. Selected verses from chapter 18 and chapter 19. Luke 18, 18 to 23. An official asked him this question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he replied, All of these I have observed from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, There is still one thing left for you. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became quite sad, for he was very rich. Luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10. He came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Now a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When he reached the place... Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. And he came down quickly and received him with joy. When they all saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. Right. How was that for you? I think it would be helpful for us to start with some observations first, based on what we just read. The first observation that, that I would raise is that it seems like the, with the way Luke wrote this account or wrote these two stories, it seems like he's intentionally trying to draw a contrast between these two people. <laughs> because if you take a look at it, first, there's the proximity. Right, It's chapter 18 and then chapter 19. You don't have to look far. These two stories, when you read them, when you read them one after the other, it's, it's, it's fresh in your mind. And it's so, it's so easy to associate the two. The second is that these two people, they, they, they have a lot in common. They're official, the rich young man, and Zacchaeus. They were both rich. They were both of a social status. 
And they were both seeking Jesus. And that's the thing, right? They were both seeking Jesus. However, those two encounters did not end in the same way. It also did not begin in the same way, but it did not end in the same way, which goes to another observation, and that is, although they are a lot similar, they are also very different where it matters. These two people are very different where it counts. It's important for us to pay attention to details such as these because the thing about the biblical authors is that with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they wrote a very cohesive text. They wrote a a very cohesive work. And what they love doing is they love referencing. They they love making these parallels. Sometimes it's like this with Luke, wherein he, he, he makes a parallel between the encounters of two people with Jesus. And other times, what, what they would do is they would, they would make a parallel with one story that they're telling right now that kind of gives you a hint of another story that you may read from another part of the Bible that maybe you may, you may read from the Old Testament, right? There are these parallels and these foreshadowings. Try to imagine those Easter eggs that modern movies like to do or like putting in <laughs> today. And, and you, you often see this in cinematic universes, right? Well, that's becoming more and more common right now. The Bible is kind of like that. The Bible is like a cinematic universe. There's a whole story, a bigger story happening. And within that bigger story, there are different characters, different plot lines, different happenings that are occurring in all of these different places. And, and these different encounters are, are, in a sense, very connected with each other. They're, they're very, again, cohesive. It's as if there was one principal author even though there were many authors of the Bible. And that is what we believe, right? That the, the Bible was written by human beings with the guidance of God, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit throughout thousands of years. It's a miracle. Like the existence of the Bible in itself is a miracle. And so it's important for us to pay attention to these things. And like what we read in a, a while ago with the story of the rich young man and the story of Zacchaeus, They have a lot in common, but they also have differences where it counts. What are those things in common and what are those differences? Let's go back to the text and then let's let's dig deeper into what is being said. Let's let's contextualize a lot of the things that are being said here. In the first story with a rich young man, he approached Jesus and he asked he asked him this question. He asked Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers him by telling him the commandments. Part of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words that you will find in the Old Testament, which is a part of their tradition as Jews. And so Jesus mentions these commandments. And look at the the, the commandments that Jesus mentions. He says, You shall not bear false witness. You shall not steal. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. These commandments that he picks, he he doesn't start from the very first, doesn't he? He doesn't start with the first commandment which says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods beside me. He references these other commandments that often have to do with other people, not with God. That, That seems like, you know, just a random detail, but it's important. It's important and we'll find out in a few. How does the rich young man respond? He responds by saying, all of these things I have, I have kept from my youth. I already have them. 
I have been doing them for a long time already. This is good, right? This is great. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, there is still one thing left for you. Oh, you've been doing these things. That's great. That's awesome. But there is one thing left. There is one thing missing. And what does Jesus say? He says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Does it mean selling all that we have, giving away all of our possessions, and then coming to him empty-handed, you know, with just barefoot and with bare hands if you don't have any possessions. And then, you know, that's when you're allowed to follow him, that you're supposed to not have possessions. Is this what we're supposed to get out of this text? Not quite. Why? Because this is a very particular prescription that Jesus gives. He doesn't give the same thing, this, this same prescription to everyone else. He didn't give it to Mary and Martha. He didn't give it to the Roman centurion who was asking for healing for his servant. He didn't give it to that woman, that bleeding woman who was reaching out to him hoping to be healed because she was sick for a very long time. This is one of the few times that Jesus gives a prescription like this where he says, there is one thing missing. You need to sell all that you have. That must mean that there's something deeper happening here. That there's something that there's something that may not be that obvious when we look at it from the surface. What is that thing? And part of the reason why we're reading these two stories together is because one story helps illuminate the other. And so let's go to the second story. Let's go to Zacchaeus. And let's, let's make some observations there as well. So what happens afterward? in the next chapter, is that Jesus continues on his way. He's making his way to Jerusalem. And what happens is that as he passed through this place, this place called Jericho, there was this one guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the text tells us that he is a tax collector. But no, not just a regular tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. He is the boss of tax collectors. Now, modern tax collectors. If I have any tax collector listeners here, if you're working with BIR or IRS, <laughs> this is not the same, okay? This is not, it, was, it was different then. You know, it's 2,000 years ago after all. Tax collectors during that time were regarded differently compared to tax collectors today. Now, people may not like being charged their taxes even until today, but during that time, it was, it was even more intense because the tax collectors, they were Jews. They were Israelites. Remember, this was during the time when Israel, they were not free. They were not sovereign. They were under foreign rule. They were under the rule of the Romans. So you could try to imagine this in the same sense as we, Filipinos, the, the, Filipino, the Philippine country, we were under Spanish rule for a very long time. So we were living in our own country, but for, for hundreds of years, we were not free. For hundreds of years, we were subordinate to these foreign rulers, to the Spaniards. It was kind of similar. The Jews during that time, they were living in their own land. However, they were subordinated by the Romans. And so, if there were taxes, who do you think would the taxes go to? it would go to the Romans. Right. However, they selected Jews 
to be the ones to collect the taxes from their fellow Jews. What kind of message do you think that sends? What, what kind of reputation do you think they have? They were mostly regarded by other people as traitors. They, it seemed like they were working for the enemy. And for, for in a very real sense, they kind of were working for the enemy. And so people didn't have a high esteem of them. They, 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 didn't, they didn't really regard them as you know, upright individuals. They, they were mostly outcasts because these tax collectors, they were very wealthy. They were very rich because they were working hand in hand with the Romans. And here's another thing that makes it worse. The way they would earn their money, the Romans didn't give them their wage. But the way they would earn money is after they charged the tax from their, their fellow Jews, they were allowed to charge extra so that they could have something that they could use for themselves. And so not only did they charge the tax for the foreign rulers from their countrymen, but they also charged extra. They also charge a little bit more, if not a lot more, for their own benefit. And so tax collectors, people didn't like them very much during this time. The Jews didn't like them very much during this time. So let's continue with the story. What happens? What happens is that we are told that he is short. He's a short guy. And so he couldn't see Jesus because Jesus, there were always people following Jesus around because this was during the time when he has grown in popularity. And so what happens is that he runs ahead and he climbs a tree. He climbs a tree so that he could see the one that he was seeking, but he couldn't see because he was too short. Upon climbing the sycamore tree, it was Jesus who approaches him. And Jesus practically invites himself to his house. Zacchaeus is honored and he agrees and he welcomes Jesus in. And, you know, Jesus is known for this. Jesus is known for for dining and eating, hanging out with tax collectors, prostitutes, and, you know, public sinners. And he often got, got criticized for this. In fact, the reason why we have the story of the lost son, the prodigal son, if you know that story, is because someone criticized Jesus. The Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for hanging out with people whom they thought he shouldn't be hanging out with. And so that's what happens. Jesus does this a lot. He invites himself to the house of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus welcomes him in. And then what happens inside the house? What happens is this. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. His encounter with Jesus led him to becoming free, to responding in such a way that he wanted to right the things that he did wrong, that he wanted to make up, that he wanted to seek justice even, even to the very people that maybe he has abused in the past financially. There was something that was stirred in Zacchaeus. Contrast that to the rich young man. Jesus tells him, you lack one thing. You need to let go of those possessions. But what happens by the end of the story? In verse chapter 18, verse 23, we are told that when he heard this, he became quite sad, for he was very rich. He wasn't willing to let go of what he had. 
He was he wasn't willing to let go of what he had, even when he knew the value of what was right in front of him. He wouldn't be sad if he didn't know that he was giving something up. He was being asked, what will you give up? Will you give up following me, Jesus? Or will you give up what you have? He chose to give up following Jesus, even though he was sad about it. He was conflicted. This is something that we don't see in Zacchaeus. Why? What, what's the difference? What happened here? These two people, they're both rich. They're both of a social status. But they have completely different backgrounds. The first person, the rich young man, prides himself in having followed the commandments to the T ever since he was young. And so he, he was probably well regarded by his peers. He was probably someone who was who had a high esteem as far as the Jews were concerned. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, is not someone who is well regarded by his fellow Jews. He is considered a traitor. He is considered as someone who, who he is not an upstanding man, unlike the rich young man. But why was it easier for him to do what he had to do to follow Jesus compared to the rich young man? Last episode, we talked about worship as worth-ship. What is of worth to you? Where do you draw your ultimate sense of worth? And where do you give your greatest worth? These two stories give us an insight into that. The problem with the rich young man that Zacchaeus apparently didn't have is that the rich young man was too attached to what he had. Now, possessions are not bad in itself. You know, being rich is not a sin. I would just like to make that clear. There is a purpose for money. In fact, if you go a few chapters back, you may read, you may read in Luke chapter 8, in, in the first verses of Luke chapter 8, it says, Afterward, he journeyed from one town and village to another, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. This is Jesus and his disciples were going around. They were touring, basically traveling, spreading the word of God. And then notice what happens next. Accompanying him were the twelve and some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called the Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, Susanna, and many others, here's the important line, who provided for them out of their resources. Jesus had sponsors. Jesus had a Patreon, <laughs> an ancient Patreon. And uh, he was supported by these women who had resources. There is a purpose for money. There is a purpose for possessions. There is a purpose for wealth. Wealth in itself is not bad. However, wealth has a place. Wealth is not the ultimate thing. Wealth cannot stand in the way of God. Wealth should not be in the place of God in our lives. Because when wealth becomes an idol, we talked about this last time, when wealth becomes an idol, it becomes distorted, it becomes ruined, and we become ruined in the process when we worship 
that idol because that idol is not God. That idol is not going to fulfill us in the same way that God is meant to fulfill us because that's how we've been designed. Let's go back to what Jesus said in the Ten Commandments. In in the commandments that he mentioned to the rich young man, he started mentioning don't steal, don't kill, honor your father and your mother, but he didn't mention the first which says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods beside me. Could it be that he had a sense that this rich young man had other gods that were not him? Possessions are not bad. Jesus is not against us having possessions. He is against possessions having us. This man was not free. He seemed fine from the outside. He he seemed like he had his life together from the outside, but he was not free at all because even when he wanted to follow Jesus, he genuinely wanted to follow Jesus, he could not because his possessions did not allow him to. Or rather, he allowed his possessions to be of the greater priority, even though that meant that he had to leave Jesus, even though he was sad. And we can take a look at our lives today and notice these things. What are these things in our lives that we have put in the place of God? What are these things in our lives that were meant to be good, but because we've put them at such an importance, we've, we've treated them as idols, we've put them in the place of God, it's, become, it's, it's beginning to become distorted, it's beginning to ruin itself and ruin us in the process because we're, we're, we're putting on it such a weight that it wasn't meant to carry in the first place. Maybe a certain role that we have, a certain relationship that we have. It's often easier to call out sin if it's an outright bad thing. It's not always easy to call out the idols in our lives that are supposed to be good things, but because we treat them in such a way that they're not meant to be treated, they become distorted and they turn into bad things. We see this in the story of Israel, God's people. Every time their worship goes wrong, they go wrong. They were put in the promised land, brought out of slavery by by Moses, by God working through Moses. And even though God was providing for them, they still worshipped other gods. And these other gods came in the form of of the the foreign gods, the gods of the other nations. But they also came in the form of of disobeying God for other priorities, quote-unquote, that they had, which part of it is their resources, partnering with the other nations, having a king for themselves even though they weren't ready for it, and enforcing their military power even though God told them that he would be the one to bring them forward and to protect them. There were a lot of these other little things that was supposed to be good, but because they were put out of place, it went wrong. The same thing goes for this rich young man. He couldn't let go of his possessions even though he wanted to follow Jesus. And who knows? We don't, we, we don't know what Jesus would have done afterward. I mean, we have to be careful whenever we, whenever we try to speculate on what, what would have happened if, if it didn't happen like that when we're talking about the Bible, when we're talking about Scripture. However, just try to think of it this way. This, this has happened before in the Old Testament. This has happened before in, the, in, in Abraham's story, when he was asked to sacrifice Isaac, his only son. His son, who was promised 
to him by God in the first place, it was a good thing. It was a good promise. And God gave him that blessing that he always wanted for a very long time. And looking at his background, he did some things that he wasn't supposed to do in an, in an effort to try to get that promise earlier. But when God gave him that promise, when God gave him that son, God asked Abraham to give up Isaac. Why? Because God wanted to take care of Abraham. God loved Abraham so much that he wanted to test Abraham to see that even if his son is a very good blessing, that he's not treating his son as an idol. That he's not putting his own fatherhood in place of God. It's easy for these ideas to seem abstract because they kind of are, but we see this in our lives also, don't we? Where do you draw your worth? Where do you draw that ultimate sense of value that if that were to be taken away from you, you won't even know who you are anymore? Maybe that's not a bad thing, but it might not be an ultimate thing as well. And so even if it's a good thing, stop treating it as an ultimate thing. There are greater things. There is a greater one who wants to be with us, who wants to fulfill us in the right way. Not because he needs to be praised, not because God needs to be worshipped, but because our worship of him is actually good for us. Because it orients us. It realigns us to what truly matters. And it puts all of these other things into the proper perspective so that we could treat these other things and these other people in the right way. He ended up not taking Abraham's son for he knew what was in his heart. I'd like to jump to another part of the Bible, to Matthew's account. And this is the part of the story where Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. He gives this huge body of teaching that he would give when he would, when he would go from one place to another. And so there's one part in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And this is what it says. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and decay destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor decay destroys, nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. A few verses later, he says, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the idol for money. So he's speaking very clearly here. <laughs> it's not to say that money is bad. Money is not bad. God is the one who gives us the ability to produce wealth. It's not a bad thing. It can be used for bad. But it's not a bad thing. You may have heard this before from some people when they say that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money in itself. It's the love of money. Money is a tool. Money is an instrument. Just as a guitar or a piano can produce good music or noise 
it depends on who's wielding it. It depends on who's playing. It depends on how the owner of the money, the one who possesses the possessions, handles it. It's not about the money in itself. It's not about the possessions in itself. And that is why God cares about how we are as human beings to be careful that the possessions don't own us. We own the possessions. We make use of the possessions. We are not slaves to these things that we have or these roles that we have or these relationships that we have. Because when we are not slaves to these things, when we are not drawing our ultimate sense of worth from all of these different things, then we are able to give more, give better. We are much more free. That is the good thing that happens as a result when our worship is set right. Jesus also says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't say, Seek just the kingdom of God and then leave everything else behind as if it doesn't matter, as if nothing in this world matters. No, 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 no. no. That, that's not what Jesus says. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Get your priorities straight. Get your worship straight because that will help you. Everything else follows. Everything else gets put in the right position if you know who goes on top. Going back to the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus invites himself to his home. He shares a meal with Jesus. They hang out together. They get to know him. He was seeking Jesus in the first place, but because Jesus made himself available to him, that initiative from Jesus led to him responding in this way. It led to him being free. And this is a different case with Zacchaeus because in the case of Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. He he was a dishonest man. He was corrupt. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to set things right. He wanted to seek justice. And so he wanted to repay the people whom he cheated in the past. And this was, this was a response based on what Jesus has done for him, based on Jesus' first move. The question is, when Jesus moves in our lives, are we able to respond in the same way? Are we even able to notice it when he does it? Because all of these things, this, this right worship, right praise, right orientation, all of these great things that we're talking about, the only way it makes sense, the only way that we can do it is when we respond to Jesus. It is He who makes the first move. We respond. Because by our own efforts, by our own will, we will always fall short. But are we paying attention? Are we seeking Are we allowing ourselves to let go of some things that maybe we need to let go of either permanently or temporarily so that we could follow Jesus better? Are we doing these things? Jesus wants to restore us. He wants to transform us. He wants to renew us. And He does it by encountering us. He does it by meeting us in these unexpected places, meeting us sometimes, oftentimes, in our brokenness. Of course, God can speak when we are all acting high and mighty, but it's often in those moments of brokenness when we are more open to noticing Him. Because we know that we are in need. 
because we know that we have to depend on Him. And when we learn to depend on Him, we're more open to surrender. We're more open to making the right sacrifices. And so, I'd like to invite you to open up. Let's open up to what Jesus might want to reveal to us today. Let's allow Him to encounter us. It's the other way around. He wants to meet us. Let's allow ourselves to encounter Him, to be on the lookout for Him, and to allow Him to rearrange our priorities, to rearrange what needs to be rearranged in our lives so that our lives would be in better order. Let's allow Him to be on the top, to be the one, the only one that we worship. We have a choice. We could be like the rich young man who turned away from Jesus even though he knew that it was valuable because he was held back by all of these other things. Or we could be like Zacchaeus who is willing to let go, who is willing to surrender and was therefore able to receive so much more. That's my prayer for you this week. And that is where we will close our episode for today. Thank you for listening all the way through and for the time that you give for this podcast. I want to invite you for next week's episode, next Friday, because I'll be having two guests over join me and we're going to talk about worship music. What's the point? Why do we do this? Why do we sing together? If you've been to a service or if you've been to a gathering, you know this. You notice this. Why do we do that? What's the point? With all of these things that we've been talking about worship so far, how does that connect to all of these? We'll talk more about that next week. So make sure to be here. If you like this form of the episode, let me know as well. Follow me on social media at Rizbon Reyes on Instagram and Twitter. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye.